1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Williams. And honestly, this might be one of the biggest episodes we have ever had here on the podcast. So. Today, I'm interviewing, on episode 187, pretty much the face of regenerative agriculture in the United States. He has gone on countless shows, he's done countless tours, showcasing what regenerative farming is, what it can look like, and really how it can fix all of our problems with our food systems, with health, and so much more. So, my guest today is Joel Salatin from Polyface Farm, and on our interview today, Joel and I are going to talk about his family background, how they essentially terraformed their farm in Virginia into something that wasn't very farmable, into something that is highly productive, and how they are producing something like four times what they were producing 20, 30 years ago. We'll also talk about the importance of local food, local foodscapes, and also something that's really cool, and that is farming should be mimicking God's design in nature. And does God really care about how we raise our livestock, which I think are some really cool notes that Joel talks about. And kind of going along those lines, also the importance of transparency in farming and how he welcomes visitors, tours, 24-7 at their farm to see what's going on. Um, And they can see all the regenerative practices, the growing conditions and raising conditions for the crops and the livestock and all that stuff. And also something about Um, that farming needs a Manhattan Project for compost. You know, the Manhattan Project was how the United States developed the nuclear bombs in World War II and how we need something like that for agriculture, but for compost, for farms to do much more with compost than they've been doing. And lastly, of course, we'll talk about how regenerative farming can actually feed the world and how Joel has talked in depth with countless people like the, the godfather of podcasting, Joe Rogan, what that experience was like and really why Joel thinks more people should also get into farming careers. So this was an awesome awesome interview. Absolutely love chatting with Joel. I think you will enjoy this episode. Check him out, check out Polyface Farm at the links below in the description. And seriously, send this episode to as many people as you can. Joel is such a great storyteller, he's such a great communicator, and I think what he's doing for farming, for agriculture is wonderful. So I really hope you enjoy it. I had a blast talking with him. So, all right. Without any further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Joel Salatin. I've got to tell you how impressed I was by trying to schedule this podcast, by having, you know, bigger guests on. Usually you hear from their publicist, their assistant, after like a couple of days or maybe a week. I heard back directly from you within like two hours. So I really appreciate that. That was great.
1: Absolutely. Well, I I, I do my own. I kind of do my own scheduling and I'm a bit of a Luddite. So, you know, I've got to I've got to keep up with it or it gets it gets gone.
2: Oh, I can imagine. So I'm super excited to chat with you. Great to virtually meet you, Joel. We So on the Farm Traveler podcast, I kind of interview farmers and ranchers around the country focused on direct-to-consumer agritourism and stuff like that, you know, where it's kind of a better way to engage with the consumer. And you're doing an amazing job of that at Polyface Farm. And honestly, it kind of seems like you are, I don't know, the face of regenerative ag, it kind of seems like.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, our our foray into this, you know, we now have in, uh, in uh, last spring, spring a year ago, uh, we built the LLC, the Lunatic Learning Center, <laughs> of course, uh, uh, and and we built this Lunatic Learning Center that seats uh, three to four hundred people, uh, depends on how how tight you want to seat in. But uh, you know, so many good things in life, Trevor, are are serendipitous. You know, you don't you don't just sit down and have a focus group, you know, and come up with answers. That you kind of bumble along, and and in in the fall of 2020. All right. Uh, you know, we're in lockdowns. Uh, all conferences got canceled. Nobody's mm-hmm. doing anything. And um, and Weston A. Price Foundation, you probably know Weston A. Price Foundation. Maybe you do. Anyway, they have a national conference. They had one scheduled for Atlanta and uh, and about uh, three weeks before the conference, the, the big conference center called them and said, hey, we're canceling you because we just got a chance to book out the whole place for like, you know, 90 days. Well, you know, they were starved for business, you know, and so they paid the whatever $50,000 cancellation penalty to, to Weston a price and, and Weston a price is, you know, and, and I mean, the three weeks out, you can't, you can't resurrect that. So they're sitting there, you know, in their office up in DC, kind of, kind of crying and crying on each other's shoulders. Somebody says, Hey, you know, I wonder, we ought to do something. I wonder if Joel does come down to Polyface." So they called me. I said, sure, come on. So we, <clears throat> we kind of, uh, cleaned up one of the hoop houses where chickens are in the winter time and and uh put down some fresh you know fresh bedding some bales of hay and um uh, and they came and I mean they they filled that thing out in in like you know 24 hours and came down and people again this is like this is November of 2020 in the throes of the lockdowns, people came in here, no masks. They're hugging, they're smiling. I mean, we people levitated out of here. They were starved for that. And when it was all over, it was like an epiphany for me. I said, "Whoa, you know, I wonder how many other organizations are out there having this kind of, you know, issue." So we we essentially uh, that winter, I, I kind of put out some feelers, and in twenty twenty one, we launched and uh we had six six gatherings in 2021 different organizations different kinds of groups and um and it it was all great except we could not get that hoop house cool enough in the summer uh you know i i'm used to sweating you know i don't mind sweating but you get people you know working in an office used to air conditioning and throw them in a, in a hoop house, even with shade cloth and all the sides rolled up and everything, it still was too hot. So, so we, we had a, we had a kind of come to Jesus time there that, that winter and said, look, we, I think we're on the tail of something good. Do we want to, do we want to invest and, and move this forward or do we want to just, well, you know, it was nice and we'll just quit. Everybody said, Oh, this is fantastic. Let's move this forward. So we built the LLC and last year we did six this year. It looks like we're doing seven hmm. and, it's just been incredibly well received. We can, you know, uh, one of the biggest pro, one of the biggest um, uh, bugaboos for people that that want to do a conference uh, and want to care about the food is dealing with a conference center's you know food requirements. Oh, we can't let that come in here. The underwriters won't do that, you know. And and, and there's this big a big it almost becomes a tail that wags the dog for event organizers if they care about food here our biggest deal is they don't even have to think about food. We got the best food in the world. We feed everybody and everybody loves it, you know? And so we've taken that off of people's plate and okay. So, you know, you can't spend the night here. You have to go, you know, 15 minutes away in town. There's plenty of beds there. It's a wonderful, you know, bucolic farm setting. uh, And, and um, it's just, it's just been fabulous. And so suddenly we've stumbled in to a to another, you know, quarter million to to you know three hundred thousand dollar uh uh enterprise that we didn't we didn't even conceive or think about just three years ago.
2: It's pretty cool. It sounds like, and so the people that are doing that, the the LLC, um, are they new to regenerative ag? Are they have they been doing it for a while? And they want to learn from the master. Like, wh- what's the kind of demographics are people that are joining it?
1: Well, we haven't done. Let's see, we've done. Uh, We've done one, we've done two gatherings that were um, uh, stopman grass farmer uh, mm-hmm. gatherings, uh, but the rest of them, uh, Trevor are are not are not regenerative ag. They're, they're wellness they're wellness summits. They're they um, financial. We had uh, Manward uh, do their first national conference last year here. Try it out. Uh, it was fantastic. It's a it's a kind of libertarian alternative financial outfit um, uh, so, so, you know, we've got, we've got different kinds of events, different kinds of groups, uh, this, this year, it's really cool for the first time, the National Association of Nutrition Practitioners, NANPT, uh, is coming here. They've never had a conference on the East Coast. They've always done their annual conference in California. And, um, and, and last year, um, I, you know, I was one of the speakers there and I just, you know, I was there and I had to the ear of the, the executive director said, Hey, <laughs> have you ever thought about doing this on the East coast? Well, no, we never thought about doing it on the East coast. I said, well, let me, let me, let me tell you a place that you could come, you know, planted the seed. They've been working on it all winter and they've now given a complete green light. So they're going to come with the NANP uh, first time on the East coast, the whole uh, nutritional uh, uh, national practitioners group. So uh, these are not regenerative ag things. They, they are, they are uh, everything, everything that's whatever out of the box. Um, you know, we had we had Chris Martinson here with Peak Prosperity mm-hmm. uh, the first year, and and they did they did a conference. Uh, so you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of outfits that would like that would like to get together, but in today's climate, they'd love to get to a place that's not a Sheraton Hilton. Uh, you know, or Marriott uh, with the food issues and with the, you know, the air conditioning and you know, the whole, the whole deal. Uh, this is, you know, this is open air. I mean, we're, we're under a shed. It's a wonderful shed. It's a, it's a three tier, three tier uh, amphitheater. Um, it's, 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 it's it's coat totally rustic. You know, we built it out of uh, poles and our own milled lumber. So it's, it's really cool looking, but, um, but, you know, people love rustic. They love authentic and uh we're just really excited and and of course, you know so so you have the event space, but then then you have you have you have things that happen as a result of it you know, you build bridges, you have people mm-hmm. come that wouldn't normally have and um and so it's it's pretty cool
2: I bet I mean, you can only get so much from a conference center. I'm sure having it there on site at you guys is is so cool and th- that name the learning t- the 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 lunatic learning center tell me where did that come from that's very catchy. I love it.
1: Well, yeah, so it's the LLC. So, (laughs) yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm known as the lunatic farmer, you know, back uh, years and years ago, I just got tired of of being put in a box. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, am pretty libertarian politically, uh, I'm conservative religiously and, you know, and, and so many times I got into situations, you know, where I'm doing a, an organic farming conference kind of thing. And people assumed, oh, you're an environmentalist. Well, you must be, you know, for bigger government, more agencies, uh, you know, more regulations. And I just got tired of being put in that box. So for, for my own, for my own sanity and fun, uh, I said, you know what? I'm going to make a new moniker. I'm going to come in. I'm going to say, I'm the Christian libertarian, environmentalist, capitalist, lunatic farmer. And it took off and, and it takes that edge off of the stereotypes, off the assumptions. And I can, instead of being frustrated with it, I can have fun with it and play with it. And everybody else smiles too, because they, they you know, it, they like it too. So it takes that tension out and I can just be who I am.
2: That's such a good idea, I mean I feel like that's breaking barriers like I'm imagining that right now on a name tag and it would just be super long I mean you're you're poking fun at yourself and being honest yes. about yourself and your viewpoints and, and I feel like that's a really good bridge building thing like you were talking about that's awesome yeah
1: it 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 is it is very much a bridge building thing because because um you know the beauty of that the Christian libertarian environmentalist capitalist lunatic farmer uh there's something in there that almost everybody can can, uh, can appreciate. And there's something in there that almost everybody kind of cringes at. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if, if you can, if you can kind of, you know, keep that, you know, keep that uh, box open with a smile, you know, that's, that's a good thing.
2: I like that. And so talking about all that, I I was reading up on you and, you know, I'm trying to be a good podcast host. I want to read up on you and my guests, but not too much, you know, where I can still be surprised. And I was reading an article that you wrote on, I think, Open Values on the website, and it's talking about your background, actually, how you and your family got started into farming, and it seems like you guys and your dad, especially, were both all very, very intentional about what you're doing at the farm, and you know, and you wrote um, a really great quote in the article talking about like, does God care about what we do at the farm? Does He care about what we put on a plate? And the whole article yeah. just really kind of made me think about just being intentional, like the intentionality of you guys of being farming. And so can you tell us about that a little bit, kind of like how you and your family got started in regenerative ag and then kind of how you're bringing God and your faith kind of into this?
1: Sure. So, yeah. So, so my grandfather, my dad's dad was a, a charter subscriber in what at 1948 to Rodale's organic gardening and farming magazine. And, and uh, so he was an early proponent, and his garden in Indiana, uh, he always had you know big compost piles. He had a he had an old octagonal chicken house, mm. uh, with chickens, and, and and this this wonderful uh, tea trellis grape arbor that went around his garden. And his garden was big; it was like like a quarter acre, which is you know a pretty big garden. And um, and and he was a you know a master craftsman, tinkerer, a little bit of an inventor, and uh, and so dad dad got this this. Kind of ecology, this environmental bent. I'm not going to use chemical fertilizers from him, from from him. And so, you know, i've I've never had a conversion experience. I mean, I just grew up, you know, being being a, a non chemical environmentalist. And, and what's funny is growing up, you know, again, our family was 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 pretty conservative. So, you know, you you, you go to church and. And uh, all these conservative Christians are, are making fun of the environmentalists and tree huggers and all that stuff. And our farmer friends, our farmer friends were all, all uh, dope smoking hippies, you know, uh, this was, you know, like, like early 70s. And um, and so, you know, all the all the farm stuff we went to was all about, you know, uh, composting and and uh, straw bale housing, you know, and all this stuff. So, so I, I really appreciate that I grew up, um, kind of, kind of spanning those worlds, and it's given me a, a deep appreciation for, uh, for, for number one, um, um, assuming that what another person believes is is, is well intentioned. Now we mm-hmm. can just, I mean, and and, and this this. Bodes well for me today. I mean, even I mean, my you know my uh, my greeny friends that they complain that that I don't say Monsanto is evil. I don't say Monsanto is evil. I think it's comprised of of a bunch of people that are misguided and I disagree with, but I think they're well intentioned. I I don't think it helps the conversation to think to say that you're bad intentioned, um, even if we disagree violently. Uh, I'm going to assume that your intentions are good and, and we just, we just come from two different perspectives. And I find that that is much more helpful in having conversations uh, and, and, and finding, you know, places where we can agree on rather than whatever, you know, cancel culture censorship and, and uh, you know, uh, 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 get out of there. So intentionality, you know, when we came to the farm in 1961, uh with that background we uh, uh da- dad was a dad was uh um he was an accountant so he was a numbers guy mm-hmm. and he saw the chemical farming approach as like a drug addiction uh you know you, you get on this treadmill and you got to put on the chemicals and you've always got they they've got they become more expensive they become more toxic because you got to to get the same kick you got to get a bigger hit right oh yeah and, and so so um so he kind of saw that as a as a as a no in no win deal. And so, you know, we're looking around and and how do you how do you do this? And I remember like yesterday, it was a Sunday afternoon drive. We went somewhere. I don't remember whether it was north or south. We went somewhere about an hour away to a farm that was using portable, portable shelters. I don't even remember what was in them. I don't know if it was lambs, pigs, chickens or what it was. All I remember was coming home. Dad, Dad was just just like like a child uh, with enthusiasm over the idea, just the idea that you could have mobile, portable infrastructure. You didn't have to build stationary stuff. And, and, and so, portable portability, mobility became a. I mean, it, it became the foundation of everything that we did uh, because animals move; they don't stay in the same place. And, um, and so, you know, uh, he, he, he built, a uh, we raised veal calves, built a veal barn, built a, a cow shade mobile. Uh, we built uh rabbit portable rabbit shelters that then became portable chicken shelters. And, and that portability thing was just a really, really big deal. So our, our, our intentionality was how can we mimic what we see in nature the patterns in nature god's design in nature how, how can we mimic that and so you know it, it's not that complicated it's you know animals animals move um and and uh, uh soil is built with perennials mm-hmm. uh perennials build soil more than annuals so we're going to reduce tillage nature doesn't doesn't plow anything and um and the soil is built with carbon, you know, uh, decomposition, not, not 10, 10, 10 bags of chemical fertilizer. And so, so uh, you know, w- with those very basic principles, uh, we just move forward with, with the program. And, um, wow, today it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty different.
2: I bet it is. I saw a video on YouTube. You were doing a tour and you were showcasing the, the chicken houses and how they move. And so they're there for a day or two and then you move them and it looks like a grid pattern, you know, as you're right. moving them They're they're stomping around in the field, eating bugs, moving around manure. It's so cool. And I mean, I mean, it seems, it seems better for the environment, but also it seems better for the chickens. You know, they're not in this small barn. They're actually an yeah. active part in nature.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're They're in small modules. As opposed to one great, great, big uh, facility, there's no, you know, there's no flies, there's no odor, there's no fecal particulate. Uh, the manure is going right on the on the grass, and then they get a whole new spot tomorrow. I mean, they get their bedding changed every single day. So yes, it's healthier for the chickens. It's happier for the chickens. Uh, it it puts them in an environment that they're, you know, that they're, they're, that allows them to fully express their chickenness. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, so so that's a big deal. And you know what? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And when you start talking about um uh, building a local, building a direct market clientele, a brand um to get you know, to get your value added through direct marketing, um you'd better be. Uh, aesthetically and aromatically, sensually romantic. I mean, you'd better be a place that people like to come, walk around, look around, and uh, you probably know we we make a big deal that we have a 24-7, 365 open-door policy. Anyone can come to the farm at any time from anywhere in the world, unannounced, and see anything, anywhere. That's our commitment to transparency. And, and it really resonates with people and gives you a lot of street cred uh, when you're when you're out there when you say anybody can come and see anything anytime. There's no locked doors, there's no skull and crossbones. Uh, you know we're not putting anything on the soil that you can't eat. I mean in you know small quantities at least yeah. and, uh, uh, you know it's it's it, it, so so those chickens out on pat I mean, they are they are so attractively magnetic that that people, um it resonates with people. You know, they they're you know, they're taking pictures, they're doing social media posts. They're, you know, um, it, it it needs to be beautiful. Good farming should smell and look
2: good, I like that. yeah. and I mean, that transparency is huge because I feel like especially with social media, we can see what's going on in a farm and people have questions and they want to go see what's going on. But, you know, sometimes they go to a farm and they see a practice and they're like, eh, I don't know if I agree with that. But that's awesome. You guys have that transparency and you have that like you're talking about, like you want to create kind of a romantic atmosphere there where they really enjoy it. They really appreciate the agriculture and really also the practices. I'm sure, you know, that when you have people out there, are they like, oh, I didn't know it could be like this. Like I thought it could only be factory farming, quote unquote
1: absolutely the the probably the most common uh there, there's two most common comments we get the first most common comment is I'm here with all these animals and there's no smell there's no odor there's no flies you know I, I could have a I can have a picnic lunch out here you know uh so so the smell thing is a, is a big deal uh that that's certainly that's certainly number one and and number two for us this is almost you know uh the other end of the spectrum is, that uh the the buildings and all we're not we're not flashy we don't have any white fences mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's a bit of a threadbare look and i don't want to you know make it sound like it's all run down it's not run down but my point is um we don't show we don't show off buildings and structures and machinery what we show off is grass earthworms cows chickens I mean, come, come look, come look at the at, at, at the at the soil and the production of it. Uh, we we don't showcase you know, we're not showcasing equipment and buildings. If if that's what you want to showcase, you know, uh, you, you're you're probably not putting your money in the right place.
2: <laughs> that's a really good point. You should be putting it towards the livestock, towards the land. And, you know, I've interviewed like a bunch of people that are focusing more on regenerative ag, whether they're ranchers or just regular farmers growing crops. And it seems like it's this really growing trend of being intentional with the soil. Whether you're a rancher or a row cropper, if you pay attention to the soil, you're going to get better products. You're going to get going get better beef, better chicken, better whatever you might be growing, which is huge.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And and of course, that's where we've put our, our attention. Uh, a lot of people don't realize when we came in 1961, we, we bought the, I call it the armpit, the armpit of the community. <laughs> Uh, You know, it was the most worn out uh, rock pile gullied uh, place in the in the in the uh, area. Probably uh, mainly because it had been absentee owned for about 40 years. Mm -hmm. You know what happens a lot of times when people lease land, they just they just take and take and take and don't put back. And so our farm uh, suffered from that. So when we came, we had large areas. Uh, Trevor the size of oh they were uh, you know a quarter acre in size that were just like round saucers in the field solid rock solid bedrock no I mean no grass no weed no nothing just solid bedrock. In fact, we had so little soil when Dad started. He, he read Andre Voisin, grass productivity. So we got to move, start moving these cows around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he developed kind of electric fencing. How are we going to hold up electric fencing? We didn't have enough soil to hold up electric fencing. So he poured he poured concrete in old used car tires. Stuck a half inch pipe down, and and and, and my brother and I, we were little kids, and we could we could kind of heave these off the tractor platform as he drove out through the field. And then he'd go along and put uh, electric fence stakes down in a half-inch pipe that was in that concrete, so that we could put up electric fence. And I'm, I'm, I'm so, uh, I mean, I, I get teary at this point. Uh, the, the blessing of my life is, and I'm not that old, but in my lifetime, I've watched those areas now fill up with now about 12 inches of soil. Now it's not three feet like it was 500 years ago, but it's 12 inches of soil there's no rocks they they they're they've been completely covered up with soil we didn't haul that soil in that soil that soil grew like new skin over a scab mm. and and so literally when i was a kid we could scarcely feed 10 cows today we feed 100 cows on the same acreage uh it it's it's just phenomenal what it what a difference this has made and so you know my my encouragement to people when people ask you know what should i i'm getting ready to buy a farm you know buy some property what i say buy 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 junk uh because the land is living and it'll heal It, it can heal like like living things and so you know don't don't buy somebody else's stewardship buy somebody's poor stewardship and then you make it better
2: you know, where do you think that original thing came from, where people wanted to buy land and then just fix it up, like bring in all this dirt, bring in all these chemicals, instead of being intentional with the land? Like, where do you think that originally came from?
1: Well, I think I think there's a general idea in the farming community that that that's fairly uh, uh, linear, kind of Western reductionist linear, uh, where what does my farm need there? Um, and they can't believe that the farm can generate what it needs
2: mm.
1: itself. Um, you know, I need to bring in, I need to bring in the seeds, bring in the fertility, bring in the, you know, whatever the, the weed control, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's this idea. And, and I, I don't want to just Cheapen this by saying, but it's a factory idea. But it's the it's the input output thing. It's mm-hmm. it's we it, it it we we bring in the inputs from here and then we and then we send the outputs out over here. Whereas we see the farm as as like a, a big reservoir and a big reservoir and a, a, of solar energy, solar power, and what we're trying to do is build more and more biomass. How can we capture more sunlight? How can we get more efficient decomposition? And um, and close that loop so that the so that almost everything is in situ. So, you know, our so our and the beauty of this is that when when uh, Putin invaded Ukraine and, you know, fertilizer jumped like 400 Mm percent because fertilizer comes out of Russia. You know, that's on the front page of all the news media now. We it didn't affect us at all at all because we don't buy any of that. Um, you know, our fertility comes from, you know, from, from compost. Uh, so our fertilizer budget, we have a great big wood chipper. And so we upgrade the woods, we weed the junkie and the crookeds and stuff and, and upgrade the wood a lot that becomes our carbon base for the livestock to build the compost to put back out on the fields. So this is all, this is all done, you know, on site. And um, and I think that idea of seeing seeing the farm as a kind of a, a, a self-contained whole, where you have very little coming in and generally little going out, you know, where it's this 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 building thing, uh, I think is is not common among you know among Western farmers.
2: Yeah, it also I mean just listening to you talk about that, it also seems like it's a an age old problem or an, an age old issue of patience like some people want to fix the land right now dump whatever they have into it and others see the long-term benefits of being intentional and focusing on it as your farm itself is an ecosystem instead of it's part of the ecosystem like your farm if you focus on it you can build up the ecosystem through very intentional practices like you guys are doing.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'll give you another example. So probably the most unknown and unseen uh, asset that we have here is for many, many years, we've been pecking away at water. Mm. Uh, we're on, on this piece of property here, we're actually kind of water poor because we don't have any big springs or, you know, we just we just don't have. So uh, per- permaculture style, we've gone up we do have elevation though. We we have we have a lot of elevation on the farm. So we've gone up into some of these uh these valleys and have, have built ponds, you know, up up higher permaculture style. So we now have about uh, uh 10 or 12 miles of buried waterline with a with an access every hundred yards all around the 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 fields so we have gravity fed no pumps no electricity gravity fed 70 psi water which 70 psi water is like a you know like a fire hose (laughs) Uh, and so we have this this high pressure water coming from these high elevation permaculture style ponds that gravity feeds throughout the whole farm to give us water for the you know for all the livestock that moves around and we've built enough ponds to actually store enough water from winter runoff and snows and things that we can use it for irrigation in the mm-hmm. summer. So between the livestock water and the and the irrigation and a drought, we've we've invested in resiliency, uh, resiliency in the system rather than asking for um whatever for you know for insurance from off the farm instead we're building we're building our insurance right here and uh you know that's it's 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 take it's taken a long time to get where we are uh but but man oh man to be able to to go out in a in a anywhere in a field and be able to have high pressure clean water without even any electricity is pretty cool
2: And I'm sure that simplifies things, too. I mean, whenever it gets cold or whenever if something goes wrong, you've got to go out there and fix it. But because there's no electricity, you've got that problem solved already.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, several years ago, we had this derecho come through here. Power was out, you know, and uh, our water just kept on going. I mean, as as long as gravity works, we've got water. And when gravity quits working, I'm out of here.
2: <laughs> yeah, true. If if your gravity's not working, there are much bigger problems to worry about. So you don't need to worry about farming by then.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. <laughs> so
2: I I know a lot of people they love the idea of regenerative ag, but there's a lot of people that have questions about it and if it can feed all of us. Like I know this is a topic that you've talked with countless people even on the Joe Rogan show right. about if this practice can actually feed us all. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Sure. So uh can this feed us all so not only can it feed us all it's the only system that ultimately can Mm. and so uh let's let's drill down on that a little bit first of all first of all realize that for the first time in human history the world is throwing away 40 percent of its human edible food we've never had this level of waste before why do we have this level of waste? Well, because we have extremely long supply chains, long warehouse stays. We have spoil dates. We have uh, a spoilage. We, we have, we have uh, um, you know, a tractor trailer loads of milk being dumped because somebody didn't wash their antibiotics right. You know, I mean, there, there's, there's a million, uh, there's a bil- million leaks leaks within the system i mean um uh, i was talking to a guy he was in uh he was in zimbabwe in and in a green bean uh a green bean processor shipping green beans to europe europe to someplace in europe and uh he said yeah we're, we're shipping two tons a day and we're throwing away two tons i said throwing away two tons of green beans why are you throwing away t-? well uh they're crooked they're too fat they're too thin they're uh too long too short you know they gotta fix the box and um and throwing them away. and so that's the kind of thing that happens, you know, all over the world right now, uh, because things are so centralized and 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 uh, 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 and and long, you know, long chains of long chains between the farm and the and the consumer. So <clears throat> the world right now we, we we could increase the world's population by forty percent right now and still have plenty of food if if we if we went to a less wasteful, A less wasteful system so that's number one number two is that um that that biology i mean i can tell you on our farm uh we are far more productive per acre uh we we get about four times the production per acre that that the other that the county average is Hmm. because doing this this uh you know, mob stocking herbivorous solar conversion lignified carbon sequestration fertilization. You know, we're we're moving the we're moving the animals around all the time, and we're and we're stacking. So the pasture is not just for cat. So not only are we getting a lot more you know production on the herbivore, but then we're stacking turkeys, laying chickens, broiler chickens, um, sheep, ducks on that same acreage. Permaculture. Mm-hmm. You start stacking all that on the same acreage. I mean, not on the same square foot on the same day, but but you know staggered, and you're generating multiple multiple uh, um, enterprises on that. Then you add in the ability to irrigate in a drought. Now you can hold your production through the through the hot time. That's a game changer as well. And so the thing that the thing that people need to understand is that the the biological uh, uh, the biological, or regenerative uh, uh understanding require is essentially depending on a carbon economy mm. uh so, so the difference is is life is life fundamentally you know uh, uh chemical or mechanical or is life fundamentally biological and those are the two kind of competing schools of thought and and uh, the, the mechanical really only came into you know use in 1837 when Justice von Liebig, the Austrian Austrian uh, biochemist, using his vacuum tubes, told the world that air, all of life is just a reconfiguration of nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. That was the first time on a grand scale that people actually started viewing life as as actually inanimate or just you know protoplasmic structure without a uh, w- without some without some sort of life mystery, you know something that's that, that, that's special um, ab- about life. Whether you know whether it's an actinomycetes in the soil or you know a person, and 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 that permeated through. Well, World War One, World War Two, uh, NPK nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus are the basis for uh, for explosives, for bombs, ammunition, and so the two world wars financed the mining, manufacture, distribution, bagging, and branding and marketing of NPK. So you come to the end of World War II and uh and you've got this farmer, you know, he's expecting his sons to come back from the war. Well one of them is killed and one of them is maimed and 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 uh and and all he's done all of his life is shovel 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 he doesn't have a front end loader he doesn't have a chainsaw doesn't have a chipper uh you know he doesn't he doesn't have a way to, to, to feed the soil carbon, to actually have a, a carbon uh, a economy. And so he's going to grab that bag of 10-10-10, cheap, you know, it's available uh, when, it, when it comes. Now, in 1943, Sir Albert Howard brought to the world the scientific recipe for aerobic compost in his book, An Agricultural Testament, 1943. But to do that efficiently, we needed chainsaws, chippers, front end loaders, PTO powered manure spreaders. You know, we needed all that stuff. And it took about 20 years from 1943 for those that kind of infrastructure to develop. Well, in those 20 years, the mechanical chemical approach dominated our land grant universities, the U.S., duh, you know, uh, the food system. And and, and so uh, it, it was like in about, you know, after World War II... Um, there, there, you know there was a, a starting gun on a race went off, but the but the chemical folks had a you know had a one lap head start, and it took a while for biology to come up. Now biology is spending circles around chemicals, but chemical is so entrenched that the assumption is we can't do it you know without these chemicals. The truth is, I'll close with this with this idea. The truth is that if we had had a Manhattan project for compost. Not only would we have fed the world, we would have done it without three-legged salamanders, infertile frogs, and a dead zone the size of Rhode Island in the Gulf of Mexico.
2: That's, man, that is huge. And that's a lot to impact there. I mean, and it seems like, luckily, we're slowly coming back around to that biology thing, like you're talking about. And I don't know, it still feels like a lot of people are hanging on to the fertilizer trend and just doing that because it's worked for them. I mean, they see it working, but maybe they don't see that dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, which- I'm here in the Florida Panhandle so very much aware of the impact that it's having here on the well, gulf.
1: Sure, sure, a- absolutely. Well, you know, the na- nature is unbelievably forgiving. Uh, you know, most of us can take a few punches and still stand up. <laughs> and, and and so uh, you know, we we can be thankful for that, but the problem with that is we often don't see uh don't see acute acute results of today's activities. Yeah. And so here we are, you know, dumping glyphosate, uh, GMOs, uh, you know, uh, chemicals and whatever uh, chemical fertilizers. We're, we're, you know, we're depleting the organic matter. We're killing earthworms. Uh, but nature just keeps trying to, you know, it's, it's a survivor. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's like say, you look at these, you know, uh, uh, methamphetamine addicts, you know, and you, you hear their stories. You say, how are you still standing? You know, how do you? <laughs> you do this how do you survive and, and somehow you know people just people figure out and and, and nature's that way and and w- which means that um that 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 nature does respond it responds incredibly when when we uh stop abusing it and start to caress it instead uh, you know that we, we've got this notion um, that that nature is a reluctant reluctant partner. We've got to dominate and control, and I'm gonna, you know, uh, wrestle. I'm gonna make you do this. When actually, nature is a benevolent lover, just wanting to be caressed in the right places. That's a very different view.
2: That is very different. And say that there was a Manhattan Project for compost. What would that look like?
1: Oh, boy. You know, I don't. <laughs> ever asked me that before.
2: Yes. Uh, awesome. Said, yeah.
1: Good for you. I'm I'm excited to so so what would that look like? What that would look like is that that we would take all the money think I don't know what these figures are, but mm-hmm. let's all the money spent on chemical fertilizer, which you, it's a lot, especially now. Oh
0: and, yeah.
1: And all the money spent fighting fires out west. Okay. I mean, I know that's like $5 billion. Mm. All right. So we take those two figures, chemical fertilizer and fires. All right. And we take that money and that money then finances. And I'm not saying we take it. I'm not saying this is a government program. I'm just saying the marketplace does this. Okay. And we simply substitute instead of all that, we, we now uh, uh, start turning um, chippers loose I mean, we've got uh, we've got uh, uh, BLM land, um, uh, national forest, state parks. They're they're weedy, they're overgrown, uh, they're fire hazards. We need to be harvesting and thinning. I'm I'm a big believer in permaculture. We need we need more trees. We need more forest and fewer trees. Uh, basically, the North American forests are weedy. They're they're they're, they're crowded. They're overcrowded. I mean. I was out at uh, Yellowstone, Yellowstone Park uh, doing a conference uh, what, two years ago. And I mean, I could hardly I could hardly get out of the park fast enough. It was horrible. I mean, <laughs> the place needs uh, it, it's 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 way overcrowded uh, uh, with trees. Trees need room. OK. And um, and of course, you go up through Colorado. I mean, there are just square miles of, of dead trees. So so we take that biomass we upgrade our woods. We take the dead stuff. We chip it, and that becomes the carbon base for large-scale composting. Mm-hmm. And that large-scale composting then um, feeds our feeds our soil. Now, what this means is we're going to reduce the size. We're going to have you know factory farms. We're going to democratize that, spread all those animals out across the landscape so that their manure, instead of being toxic, comes at a rate that is a blessing. I mm-hmm. mean, as a culture, we have taken the blessing of manure and urine, and we have turned it into a liability due to our our concentration scale. So you so you 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 get scale in my in my world you get scaled not by centralization but by duplication and so you have you have thousands and thousands of farms like us instead of just a few mega farms you know with with you know uh, uh, millions and millions of, of critters so then you match up you match up the biomass with the manure large scale composting obviously you don't feed any herbivore grain that reduces the grain need by about 65 to 70%. Mm -hmm. Now you don't have to plow uh, and, and and you, and, and even the tillage becomes crimping, uh, crimping or pasture cropping, which are both ways to produce grain without tillage, without herbicides, without fertilizer. And, And, and you, you simply, move everything to a um to a a perennial uh, carbon centric closely managed um um decentralized system
2: that decentralization is huge because i mean going back to the pandemic we saw the strain that the food supply chain had because of you know there's so few packing plants here processing beef and chicken and everything so it seems like it's a great idea if we decentralize all of that. We have more farmers doing what you guys are doing and y- you yeah. have better access to food no matter where you are.
1: Yeah, just imagine, just imagine if in, you know, if in 2020, uh the spring of 2020, if, if instead of the, instead of our country being supplied by 300 5000 person mega processing facilities, mm-hmm. instead the country had been supplied by three hundred thousand fifty 50 employees Unity-oriented uh, processing facilities. Do you think we would have had as big a hiccup? It's an obvious answer. Of course not, yeah. because a speedboat, a speedboat, can much quicker than an aircraft carrier. When, when you're when you're navigating uh, unknown shoals and rocky waters, you don't want to be in an aircraft carrier. You want to be in a speedboat.
2: That's a really good analogy. I like that. And I mean, one of the things that I think is kind of I don't know a bottleneck for that there aren't nearly as many people that want to get involved in agriculture. So how do you think we can change that to where we can have, you know, hundreds of thousands of farms like you guys, like around the States and around the country?
1: Yeah. So, so uh, and we run a, we run a professional formal apprenticeship program here and every year we have about uh oh, close to a hundred applicants for 11 spots. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I really believe um uh, Trevor, I really believe that if if young people uh, thought that they could make a nice living on a farm, there, there would be young people flocking to agriculture, but they are, they're told by family, by friends, by school guidance counselors, not only is farming a redneck hillbilly uh, vocation for, you know, for, for um, uh, academically disadvantaged people, (laughs) but, um, but but there's there's also no money in it, you know, mm-hmm. and there, there's no money in it, and so you you get it, you get the combination of those things, and so yeah, I think, I think uh, uh, if if you present the option of a white collar salary on a farm, um, I don't think there's any problem with young people coming to it, but that is not the thing that's been presented to them, and uh, and 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 that's a shame, and I'll I'll say this too, the second thing would be that if the marketplace, if 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 consumers would buy intentionally and realize that their their dollar is voting for a certain kind of of food and f- for, for a certain kind of farmscape um, so that they take responsibility. I mean people say well these farmers ought to do di- these farmers ought to do differently they shouldn't do blah 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 well you know what farmers have always produced for the marketplace and when people want lunchables Hot pockets and squeezable Velveeta cheese. <laughs> farmers, farm, and and the cheapest food around. Um, farmers are going to produce to that you know to that standard, and so ultimately, ultimately, consumers set the farmscape standard. And if you want a different farmscape, i.e., young people coming in, better land stewardship, uh, better animal, you know, b- better nutrient density, you know, all those kind of kind of things, then you have to, uh, you know, you have to invest in that kind of of foodscape. The, the The little uh, uh, picture I like to paint for people is I- imagine, imagine you're sitting down to dinner, you got this plate of food in front of you, looking through that plate to the other side of it. On the other side is everything from the farmer to the processor to the distributor? You know, all the things? Well, when you squint and look through that plate of food to the other side of it, is that is that a a culture, a landscape? Is that a mm-hmm. place that you want your children to inherit? That's the question.
2: That's a big question. I mean, yeah, and a lot of, a lot of times you don't know where that food's coming from, but if you're making more conscious decisions, you can learn and figure out where it's coming from. And of course, if you live locally to those farms, you could go there and visit. You can see exactly the processes that are going on to raise your food.
1: Right. Absolutely. Um so, yeah, we we are we are at our most fundamental level, we are local food, you know, local food addicts. Um but you know, in 2019, we began shipping nationwide because we started seeing uh, an erosion of of people who, well, why should I even drive 10 miles to your farm when I can get on, uh, uh, you know, get on somebody's website and get stuff delivered right to my door? And you know, you hear that several times, and you have some customers, you know, that don't that, that aren't coming for some reason, and you find out that that's the story, and you realize. You know, uh, everybody wants to be nostalgic. Nostalgia is good, you know. <laughs> nostalgia sells, but let me tell you, nostalgia is only good until it becomes obsolete. Mm. And so you've you've got to, you've got to learn you've got to learn the day to leave nostalgia right before you become obsolete.
2: That's really true, man. I I love that you can use nostalgia, but don't be obsolete from it. Um, But yeah, I mean, consumers really drive the industry. If they want organic food, farmers are going to have to buy more organic. If they don't want GMO, farmers are going to have to stop buying organic or or stop growing GMO. And so consumers Mm -hmm. sometimes often forget that about how powerful they are and literally what they buy drives the industry. So if they want cheap food, we're going to be producing cheap food. But if we want regeneratively raised, sustainably raised, that's going to dictate the market
1: yeah yeah and and the beauty of that is it's not a bad investment because guess what you're going to get more nutrition you're going uh, i mean like like you know we submitted our eggs to a to a, a an analysis a nutritional analysis several years ago and, uh, and the, you know, the USDA, uh, I call it the USDA, but the, 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 U, the, the, the official USDA nutrition label on an egg is like an egg has uh, 48 micrograms of folic acid per egg. Uh, our eggs tested 1038 micrograms per egg i mean we're not talking about little percentages of differences we're talking about major differences you know grass finished beef has 300 percent more riboflavin than uh than than uh grain-fed beef uh i, I mean these these numbers are just huge and so uh so you know i i don't know uh i, I I don't want to get down a rabbit hole here of, of dysfunctional society, but you know um, there, there are a lot of things to be concerned about today, you know, economically, socially um, you know, crime in the cities. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to be concerned about. Well, depending on where you are on that on that uh, spectrum of, of, do you think things are going down or not, you know, <laughs> wherever you are on that. Um, let me tell you, if, if you, if you are concerned about things, well, we say the, the wheels coming off, there's one thing that you don't want when the wheel, when, when you're in, in societal, you know, uh, societal breakdown, you don't want to be sick. You want to be healthy. And, and so, so uh, eating well and investing in nutrition is one of the best things you can do uh, today and, and, and in preparation for what may, whatever may come tomorrow.
2: Yeah. You know, I've seen so many people lately get, I I don't know, influencers on social media, whatever it might be, blog posts. People are starting to pay more attention to their food instead of, you know, just going directly to medication or something. They're being more intentional about, you know, just worry about the nutrients you're getting from high quality food. And that can solve a really good amount of your problems, like with your health. Like if you're being intentional, I feel like that's the whole theme of this podcast, maybe just being intentional with how you're growing, with how you're eating and all that good stuff. So yeah, that's a lot to impact there, though.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And the the easy thing, the easy thing is to be, uh, is is to not be intentional. I mean, we've been told now for decades, you don't have to be in your kitchen. You don't have to have a, you, we'll, we'll take care of your food. We'll take care of, you know, we'll take care of everything. And, and, and as, as freedom comes from, from, uh, from from not doing chores, you know, not mm-hmm. cutting fire, but, uh, uh, You don't you don't have to participate anymore. Just let us let us do it, and you'll have more time for video games, Netflix, and you know, football.
2: I mean, I'm I'm super guilty of that too. I mean, you know, like just we can DoorDash whatever we can do whatever. It's so all about the convenience, so we don't have to worry about it. But you got to be intentional. Like we've got to pay attention to what we're putting in our bodies about how we're growing it. I mean. What do you think we can do? I don't know with local government or national government to kind of drive all this home. Like we need to have more intentional farms. We need to have more intentional diets. Like, how do you think we can combat all that?
1: Uh, Well, uh, anybody that knows me knows that my first answer to that is always: we need we need freedom. We need Mm -hmm. uh, I promote a a food emancipation proclamation. So we take the shackles off of the food system, so that farmers uh, and and consumers uh, can, can, can do, can transact business together. Um, you know, I'm not talking about import export. I'm not even, I'm not even talking about Walmart and Costco. I'm just saying, if, if I want to come to your farm as a, as a voluntary consenting adult and exercise freedom of choice, uh, to, to, uh, to, to get your, whatever your rabbit, your tomato sauce, your charcuterie, um, we should we should be able to have that transaction without a bureaucrat being involved. And right now, there are thousands and thousands of farmers ready to access the marketplace that don't because of these these uh, um, onerous, these onerous regulations that are that that were created by the consumer advocacy folks like Ralph Nader uh, to protect them from the industry. But a farm like ours, a small neighborhood farm, is not the industry. There, there, there's two different, two totally different things. But 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 government regulations are always scale prejudicial, and any any regulation that's scale prejudicial. I mean, for example, if I want to make char- charcuterie, and and the, the 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 government license in order to sell the charcuterie says, well, you got to have a five thousand uh, dollar a thermometer to to keep 24, seven tabs on the temperature. Mm -hmm. That's nothing. If you're making a tractor trailer load of charcuterie of pepperoni. All right. But if I'm just making a five gallon bucket of pepperoni as a little, you know, side hustle in my, you know, uh, as a cottage industry for my neighbors and folks at church, suddenly that $5,000 thermometer uh, puts me out of business. I'm not going to buy the $5,000 for for a five gallon bucket. So that's where um, that's where, we need to be able to define either by volume, by type of transaction, i.e., you know, direct consumer producer, um, by, by locale, you know, uh, only within a certain uh, uh, approximate area that you can sell. There, there are a lot of ways to define this, but, but somehow to allow a parallel universe of entrepreneurism to access the marketplace.
2: That's a really good take. I mean, because farms are just like the people that rate, that work on them. I mean, there's no two farms that are the same, they're the same size, they have the same practices. So why should a farm that's, you know, this small have to follow the exact same um, yeah. laws that are a much larger yeah. farm that can afford to purchase all the equipment? Why do they need to follow the same thing? Like, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I get the intentionality there that the government's doing, but also it's kind of dumb. Like, we need to fix that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there are there are all sorts of scale exemptions. I mean, think about well, like here in Virginia, you can you can have an unlicensed daycare in your home as long as you don't go over three kids. Um, in Virginia, here we can have an unlicensed elder care in our home as long as you don't go over three, and mm. and, and that that's reasonable because if all, all you're keeping is three kids or all you're keeping is three old folks, if it's just three. There's no bureaucracy there. I mean the 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 family the family that's bringing them they know you they see you. It's not like there's there's some nameless faceless staff you mm-hmm. know that that's checking off boxes and seeing things. And, and so the the relation the relational aspect compensates for the bureaucratic paperwork, and and that's the rationale. And that's what I'm suggesting that if if we yeah if if we had that kind of um, of, of reasonableness applied to the food sector, we would see an explosion of cottage industries, neighborhood uh, food transaction uh, capabilities that that we can only imagine right now.
2: Well, hopefully this can happen because I feel like you and a lot of people like Polyface Farm are really inspiring a bunch of farmers or, or even, which is super exciting, like people that are outside of ag, but they see what you're doing and right. they want to do it, which I think is huge because we need more people like that.
1: Yeah, that th- that's exactly right. You know, um, w- when I talk like this, the non uh, non farmers they get it immediately. You know, it <laughs> resonates. yeah, I I get it. You know, I'd love to get you know Aunt Matilda's uh, quiche if I could. She makes great quiche. I'd like to buy it from her. You know uh, or, or food deserts, you know, in urban sectors, food deserts, you know, if, if, if a single mom of three kids could put in a garden and a vacant lot and make pot pies for the, you know, for the, for the neighborhood, uh, you, you wouldn't have a food desert. And so, so there's, there's all sorts of ramifications. Um, ultimately, ultimately we need, we need food freedom. The, um, and the courts, you know, they have ruled very specifically that American citizens do not have a right to choose their food. And, uh, I find that, I find that in a time when we're, you know, when we're, we're choosing, we tell the government, I don't want you to get in my bedroom and I don't want to get you in my sex life and all that stuff. And we're saying, uh, you can, but, but you can get in my mouth. That's fine. You know, you can, <laughs> and I say, I say when the government gets between my, you know, my lips and my throat, that's an invasion of privacy.
2: Oh, yeah. We don't want them in our bedroom, but we we don't mind when they're controlling what we're eating. And then yeah, you think about it, right. you're like, hold up, hold the phone. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's just it's crazy. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it is. I mean, and you're doing an amazing job, like talking to people, to people all over the world. And you have been on the Joe Rogan show like multiple times talking about that because he's I mean, it seems like lately he's been on a kick. He's interviewed you. He's interviewed um, uh, White Oak Pastures, which is awesome. And so it seems like right. a lot of people outside the industry are getting more interested in stuff like that and also like those are huge platforms to be able to talk about all this stuff
1: oh yeah, yeah yes they are and it's really going i mean we're uh in may may 13th uh we're having the the rogue food conference so john moody and i have uh started this this kind of uh a little thing uh called the rogue food conference and basically the the moniker is uh uh, let, let's let's not try compliance. Let's do circumvention. Mm-hmm. Uh, there comes a time when these laws, like I'm describing here, become so obtuse and tyrannical that it's actually more efficient to circumvent, uh, to to be creative enough to circumvent than than to try to comply. And this thing's gaining steam. We started this about three years ago, and boy, it's just gaining steam. Uh, the next one's going to be uh, you know going to be here. And um, here, here at Polyface, it'll be one of the you know one of the gatherings for the year. But you know we'll have Congressman Tom Massey here. Mm. You know the, the Maverick from from Congress. He's fantastic. We'll have Amos Miller, the the farmer that you may be aware of, has faced all this uh, USDA uh, uh, finding for having his personal membership, private membership association, um, and and so so the the, the rogue food is uh, idea is we're we're taking people who are creative enough and have enough savvy to to basically circumvent the system and putting them on a stage and saying how do you do this you know how do you how do you do this guerrilla marketing this this under the radar stuff and uh it's pretty fun so yes that is all part of this of this uh um the parallel universe gaining steam, you know, it's all part of the, the homestead tsunami. I mean, people are leaving the city, mm-hmm. uh, come to the country and, and it's a homestead tsunami. Uh So, so yeah, there, there are some really int- neat undercurrents going on in the culture right now that I think are very, very positive. Some stimulated by COVID, but, uh, uh, which you know they, they always say that a, a a crisis does not make a movement but it simply uh either accelerates it or makes it more obvious to a movement that's already happening and and i, I think these trends were already happening they were nascent they were nascent but but black swan uh putin ukraine uh, um you know burning down the cities defund the police all those things have stimulated a um you know uh uh, a concern, a concern that's big enough in the minds of a lot of people to um, jump ship.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's been weird because I've interviewed a lot of farms that they they did um, farm tours before the pandemic and they had some moderate success. But then after the pandemic, they skyrocketed to where they had to start selling tickets. Yes. They had to do yes. like almost pivot their entire operations to fit consumer demand because people wanted to get out. Or maybe they wanted to homestead and learn from those farmers because people, you know, they're locked up and then they're free because the pandemic slowly, but surely, you know, not as crazy as it was. But they're like, I want to change up my life. Like I did. I did not like being locked up. I want to be outside more. So how can I do that? But yeah, it's been very weird, but it's been very cool to kind of see the whole industry as a whole kind of make a huge kind of rebound, really.
1: Yes. Yes. I, I couldn't agree more. That's exactly right.
2: Well, Joel, this has been amazing. So cool to chat with you. If people are in Virginia, how can they go and tour the farm? And also you've got a lot of avenues where you kind of reach out and talk with people. Where can people follow you and follow Polyface Farm?
1: Yeah. So our website is Polyface Farms, uh, P-O-L-Y-F-A-C-E. If you just type in P-O-L-Y, it'll probably come up uh, polyface farms. We have a website and it has, it has our summer tour schedule. Uh, we do eight or nine, uh, uh, lunatic tours a summer. Um, and so th- these are, these are two and a half hour hay wagon, uh, lunatic tours. Uh, mm-hmm. we do, of course we have our, 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 two day, uh, polyface intensive discovery seminars. Those are two days, six meal. They're worth coming just for the food, trust me. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then we have all these gatherings going on, uh, for you to come, And so, you know, there's, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a lot, a lot going on and we are, are honored and humbled and thrilled to, uh, to have folks come and see. We, we, we know that there is magic when you come and see, and then when you add taste, when you taste it and you see it, you're hooked. You'll never be, you'll never be the same again. So uh, we invite, we, we know, we know that ultimately that is the, that is the, the, um, whatever the the witness the uh the, the <laughs> conversion the conversion outreach mm-hmm. that we need that we need to do because many people don't don't believe it's possible or it can be done at scale so we, we take that blinder off and then they've never eaten really really uh good stuff before and you put that you know sausage egg uh that that uh that hot dog when we make hot dogs uh, you put that in their mouth and i mean they're you know they're done okay i'm in you know i'm <laughs> so it's it's fun it's fun to watch people have that that final tip over point. So yeah, uh, visit the website, polyfacefarms.com. Um, I've written 15 books. You can get books, books on there. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot. And, and and if you're not a farmer and you want good food, we'll be glad to ship to you too. Shameless plug there. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, a very, it's a very comprehensive website and, um, and you can go there and browse and, and see a lot of stuff.
2: Yeah, it's a great website that highlights everything that you guys are doing and kind of like what you said, you guys are kind of taking like three blindfolds off like one, you can do it Two, you can do it at scale. And three, the products are amazing. And they are very superior as to what you could get doing it any other way. And um, my wife and I are actually moving to D.C. for three months and then we'll be back here in Florida. So we are definitely going to have to plan a visit and come oh, see yes, you
1: Yes, you sure will. You sure will. We'll look forward to your, vit- to your visit coming out. Absolutely.
2: It'll be so fun. Well, Joel, thanks so much what, for coming on the show. Thanks so much for what you're doing. We really appreciate it. And best of luck as you continue to do all this amazing stuff and, you know, spread the message of regenerative ag and, you know, the amazing things that this industry can do.
1: Thank you, Trevor. It's been a delight and a, and a privilege to be with you. Yeah. Blessings you. on you
2: again thank you to joel for being on the podcast thanks so much for coming on check them out at the links below in the description and if you're new here consider subscribing if you are a return listener of course thank you so much for listening consider leaving a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you might be listening. And of course, check out all of our awesome content on YouTube, which of course, on our YouTube channel, Farm Traveler, you can see clips from my interview with Joel and a bunch of other interview clips and farm tours as well. Again, youtube.com slash farmtraveler. So thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.